0: That's B-O-D-I dot com.
1: So like, yeah, so it's named after my magazine, Ben Ruddy. Yeah. And the reason I came up with Ben Ruddy is... um, well, okay. There is a bit of a story. Okay. So <laughs> when I was young, I would, um, it would be the normal kind of like thing. Like, you know, mum would be like, you know, you have to make the perfect routine. You know, we need to teach you how to be a good housewife, et cetera. And I'm like 13 being like, what? Um, and so like, you know, they'd put you in front of the tava and they'd get all the flour ready and you'd make the akka. And then they're just like, okay, and now you roll it out and now you do this. I was just so sick and tired of the concept. That I had to make rooty while my brother sat there just like reading comic books and I was just like this isn't cool um, and also I don't want to cook for someone I don't even want to cook for myself like that's what you're here for mom. like that, that was, <laughs> of, like, I was at the moment so like I was just like no this is not cool so I would intentionally burn them so that oh, mom would that. Then, yeah I would intentionally but eventually mum was just like oh my god this woman cannot cook like this is really embarrassing
2: the Naughty Bites podcast Sharon Dhaniwal, who's focusing on discussing the representations of young women, South Asian women and queer women, is an inspiration to many. She founded, developed and runs the UK's leading South Asian culture magazine, Bankroti, which is a platform for young creatives to showcase their talent, find safe spaces and destigmatize topics around mental health and sexuality, amongst others. She's exceptional and defies the odds for many in the South Asian community, sharing her voice on what's on our minds, but sometimes may not have the courage to say, and what life could look like for us if only we took that first step. Welcome
1: Sharon, how are you? I'm good, thank you, I'm good. I I woke up a couple of hours ago um, over here in the time difference in Canada, so (laughs) I'm good, I'm good. I woke up um, in a really hot room. (laughs) Okay. I don't know what to say about that. I'm good. doesn't the rest of what I've just said.
2: (laughs) But, like, I was going to ask, have you finally recovered from jet lag?
1: Yeah, it took me a while. It always takes me so long to recover from jet lag. I I don't know why. There's something with my system that just likes to be a bit messed up, I think. (laughs) Like, it takes so long. But it's always worse when I go back to London. That takes me longer to recover from. So I I think it took me, like, I don't know, not that long, like five days maximum. Wow, that's still long. That's still long, but like, on the way back, like, trust me, when I go back to London, it'll be like two weeks of jet lag.
2: That's an excuse to stay in bed and have hot chocolate. Yes,
1: yes.
2: (laughs) So I have to ask, how's life in Vancouver? Because you're there for the next three months. Six months. Six months. Oh my goodness. Okay. What's your plans in Vancouver? By the way, if you eat meat, they have the best sushi, like...
1: Kind of I sound. don't eat meat, but they do have great vegan sushi here as well. Okay, go yeah. because it's the place to have it. Yeah, okay. it's actually. Um, I was actually surprised with uh, what the restaurant scene is like. Here, Cause my cousin's a chef. Okay. So he's very much into like you know oh there's this new place blah blah blah. So yeah, it's a really cool place for like finding new foods. Um, but yeah, I'm here for six months. Um, wow. I'm mostly gonna be chilling. Oh, with family. I have a lot of family here so I used to come here a lot when I was younger I used to do summer holidays granddad's on the island so I'd go over to the island and you know things oh, like that so okay. and then uh, like my cousin and my aunties are like on the like mainland um so yeah I just want to spend time here chilling writing um and also like think about like the next steps of my journey you know because I'm kind mm-hmm. of sick and tired in London I feel like um I've just, I, I don't know. I've just never really been a Londoner. Like I've always okay. been a Londoner. Like technically, but like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, like a a big love for London. I don't know. I just you should go to Mediterranean. Like you know, Italy's yeah. amazing. Yeah, Greece, Spain. Yeah, but like the Mediterranean, like mm. by the coast, and life is really chilled
2: out. If you're looking for chilled out and like that's, culture, it, right? yeah, that's what that's you it. need.
1: So, I became really aware of how London was stressing me out from just simply the way it is. Um, and when I came back to Vancouver, um, that little bit of slowness it has mm-hmm. just completely calmed me. Um, yeah. And I realised I needed that in my life. Like, I need something like this. Where It's like a city. It's still busy. There's still so much happening. But, like, it's that much slower, you know? Yeah. Like, I
2: go to Toronto because I found family there um and for me the one thing I do love is being spoiled by my brothers because yeah. um, <laughs> I'm like the baby sister who's annoying and he's <laughs> gonna shut up <laughs> so, uh, I love that and then number two is my aunt just cooks for me and her food is amazing mm-hmm. and um it was really curious because they met my husband for the first time before we got married, and my aunt was just like looking at Carla saying oh like he's so like so beautiful Nanisha. and I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because the other sister in london that was my response i was like yeah another sister in london when she met him she was like oh manisha like he's just so beautiful and i went you're so very different in characters but you're both the same <laughs> yeah um, and <laughs> he was like holding his hand sitting on his lap and i'm like i mean no. i think i don't really think you should be doing that so I me mean, my cousin were embarrassed and what like carlos was like is this, is like all your aunts like this? And I'm like, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> oh they'll kill you, they'll not eat you alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so bring on to my next question. Mm-hmm. You newly, like, your newly published memoir, Burning My Roti. Uh, by the way, I love the title. Thank you. Well, before I continue, why did you call it burning my roti? Because I've burnt a lot in my entire like My whole life, I've <laughs> burnt
1: loads. And I'm like, yeah, I've just got to order takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. So, it's named after my magazine, Burnt Ruddy.
2: Yeah.
1: And the reason I came up with Burnt Ruddy is... Um, well, okay, there is a bit of a story. Okay, so <laughs> when I was young, I would um it would be the normal kind of like thing. Like, you know, mum would be like, you know, you have to make the perfect routine, you know, we need to teach you how to be a good housewife, et cetera. And I'm like 13, being like, what? Um and so, like, you know, they'd put you in front of the tava and they'd get all the flour ready and you'd make the akta. And then they're just like, okay, and now you roll it out, and now you do this. I was just so sick and tired of the concept that I had to make rooty while my brother sat there just like reading comic books. And I was just like, this isn't cool. Um, And also I don't want to cook for someone. I don't even want to cook for myself. Like that's what you're here for, mom. Like that, that was one <laughs> of the, I was at the moment. So like, I was just like, no, this is not cool. So I would intentionally burn them so that oh, mom yeah. would then, yeah, I would intentionally burn them. Eventually mom was just like, oh my God, this woman cannot cook. Like this is really embarrassing. So she was, eventually she was just like, go sit next to Raj. Like don't, Father like trying to make rutti and that's how I got out of making rutti for a very long time um and I think it was my first kind of like step into activism without me realizing that's amazing. Um, yeah but now I make the perfect rutti
2: I'm impressed because I like well I hated making rutties I hated it so my one summer my mom was like right, that's it you're going to Preston and you're going to learn from my sister-in-law and I was like you up is that some <laughs> holidays i was like i don't want to learn it so i would have been about your age like 13 and then i have this cousin and like a lot of us don't like to cook with her because she's always like shouting at us and she's like oh my god you've not cooked it right or you're burning it and i went do you know what do it yourself and i would leave the kitchen I went, right, i'm gonna sit watch tv um yes. but i remember my mum saying to me i don't want to teach you to cook i want you to be an independent woman Mm. because she actually learned to cook from her laws. because my mum did a lot of sports, so her, her my grandparents were like, no, oh, no, you don't need to learn to cook, you can carry on with your sports, but when she married, she was like, yeah, I really need to learn to cook, but... For me and my sister, she was like, no, 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 you don't need to. But then unfortunately she passed away and it kind of got stumbled onto me. And trust me, I made some really bad boo-boos like cooking, like over nutmegging or, or burning, <laughs> like burning the ceiling with dal. And I'd be like, nice, nice. there's a reason why it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, was purpose, there was like an inner reason of just burn everything
1: because you shouldn't mm. be allowed to cook. But now I don't make bodies ever. So, um, oh my God. I, I taught myself. I taught myself because I was just like, because I, I like eating roti, and I got to <laughs> a stage where I was also like, I'm an independent person and want to cook for myself and not for someone else. So I learned how to make roti for myself, basically. Eventually, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah
2: I, I should get back into it, but I'm like, yeah, tomorrow, which is never. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so,
2: like, so, <laughs> um, so your book focuses on taboo. Mm. Okay, so you know my my podcast is called Multi Bites, and it's a bit of a pun. Okay. What's your
1: guilty pleasure? Uh, Okay. I have an answer for this. So, (laughs) um, the only reason it's a guilty pleasure is like the ill come clear. So basically I became a vegetarian about four years ago. And then I went vegan about three years ago uh, because I realized that dairy was affecting my eczema. Also, ethics, okay. sustainability, the earth, morals, all of that stuff as well. <laughs> that came secondary if I'm gonna be honest because I was just like, oh my God, my eczema. Um, so I I, do, I don't eat dairy, like I don't eat like, okay. I drink oat milk, I, I don't eat eggs and like, etc. But I find it difficult to call myself a vegan because I can't stop eating baneer. No, I'm, like, I'm so obsessed like why does it taste so good it's not my fault it's it's the fault of the paneer gods like it tastes too good <laughs> well, i can't <laughs> actually call myself a vegan because i get so much guilt for saying that because i eat so much paneer. like so much but it's amazing. I, I eat more now that i turn vegan i don't know maybe it's a craving inside of you going eat me like you know
2: it, it, it it's like getting my belly your your, your belly knows you want it and it's like ah, oh, eat me it's like it, it, a it, citizen
1: yeah Literally. 100% 100%. <laughs> I tried to make um I tried to like uh substitute banir with tofu once and it just it didn't hit the spot at all. It just Definitely. I was like yeah this is just a tofu dish. It's not <laughs> So yeah that's my guilty pleasure it's banir as a vegan.
2: Um <laughs> uh, so can I call you a little like part-time flexitarian? <laughs> like
1: like it? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Definitely. <laughs> it's a part-time lover reference. I don't know why but it makes me sound flexible as well. So that's why I like- <laughs>
2: I'm thinking yoga I don't know what I'm thinking
1: (laughs) I'm not flexible at all I can't even do yoga so if someone has the vision of me of being flexible that makes me happier
2: (laughs) so so actually like your book focuses on taboo so cultural identity body hair Mm. colorism etc your book resonates with a lot of people so when I was thinking body hair I was like and cultural like cultural identity I was like oh, my God, like, I yeah, that's how I feel. And, you know, when you share posts, I'm like, how the hell, because you've got so much courage, I'm like, I admire you for it because I wouldn't, as a teenager, I hated body hair. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, as an Asian, your parents are like, you're not getting waxed, you're not having laser. So mm-hmm. at school, I, I used to get called spider. And now I'm like, I hate, you know, when you look back and you're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. did I have side bones? And did I have, like, mm-hmm. you know? It, yep. it was it was um difficult growing up as a teenager yeah but like what made you start your journey because all everything you've written like all the chapters it's it's thought-provoking but also like everyone's like yeah that's exactly how i feel you've written a book that goes this is my life as well mm-hmm. which i did a lot of <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> really true, and i did that <laughs>
1: Really nice to hear. Thank you. Um, that was the intention. I was I was hoping that people would get that kind of feeling within them as well when they read it. Because it's so individual, it's so personal when you write something and you still mm. are kind of like, you victimise yourself and you find it very lonely, like, you know, when you go through something. So when other people are like, yeah, same, you're mm. just like, oh, God, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> thank really, God it's, it's, true, it's true, it's um, true. But I think my my journey with my body hair came with my journey of um, being more open with my queerness um so when i started kind of i guess living life as my true self yes. um and i i guess that kind of allowed me to like reject those kind of standards laid down by like cis hetero men because they were no longer the people that i wanted to mm-hmm. be in my life um that kind of that kind of changed the way I saw myself and the way that I wanted to reflect myself into the world. Because I was like, as a queer woman, if I don't have to reach those standards to be considered valid, um, then I can do what I want. And yeah. it was just so liberating to be like, actually, I don't care about cis, like hetero men and their standards, because it's genuinely like, I literally don't care about anything they think or say. Um, mm-hmm because it doesn't affect my life it doesn't affect the way I see myself you know um and it did for ages and that that is still ingrained in you like it's still an echo in your head because it's so hard to unlearn these kind of things yeah like my everyday isn't for them you know like my my body I mean it wasn't for them anyway really I mean your body is for yourself but the way you're taught is that it's for someone else right like you know you have to you're someone else um and then so there's steps of unlearning so the first step of unlearning was it's not for them and then you go through that it's not for anyone it's genuinely Mm -hmm. for yourself right um and so as I was going through these steps of unlearning I kind of just became more comfortable just existing the way I do um but it's been really really hard and really long like there have been, like, I haven't removed arm hair in a very long time, to be fair, like, well before mm-hmm. I went into the journey of, like, body hair, posi- I've got these massive mosquito bites, i just saw on my arms, sorry, they very distracting <laughs> in this conversation. Um, so, like, <laughs> so, my arm hair was the first one, That I mean, sorry, my arm hair was the first one that I never removed, because I was kind of just, like... It, it was just easier for me to just sit there with arm hair, I think, than with hair anywhere else. Because I was like, everyone has arm hair. Mine's just a bit thicker. But I can mm-hmm. still see it on my friends, right? They, I can yeah. see, see their arm hair. Um, so that was the first time I was like, okay, let's just do that. And then armpit hair was the next one. And that was genuinely because it's just such fucking... Oh, sorry. <laughs> it <was genuinely, laughs> honestly, it was... Um, <laughs> it was genuinely because it was just... Um, it's just hard work to keep shaving your armpits because they grow back. Like mine grew back like hours later. I'd get little like... Yeah, the same. Under my arm. I was like, what's the point? Like, what is the... It doesn't look any better. Like my shaved Mm -hmm. armpits don't look any better than my unshaved armpits, like to my eye. Um, And it was like, what was it for then? It was for like, you know, the fact that men said you shouldn't have it. I was like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. But like, it Mm -hmm. looks the same to me or it looks no different to me. So why should I do it for them? Um, And then like literally just two days ago was the first time I went in public with unshaved legs to a lake and went swimming I saw and
2: I was like yeah. check you out I was, I was, was loving it. it
1: that was the stage that I wasn't sure I was able to get at and I went with um basically my group of like queer friends in Vancouver um and they just made me feel really safe and stuff and no one looked no one cared They don't. I, I they don't think- care. But and really it was curious. Like, sorry,
2: sorry to say that now. No, but it's curious because I think Indian society, you know, South Asian society, it's like this whole thing of, um, I remember in India, they're like, oh my God, you've got hairy legs. And it's this whole thing of like, you know, you go to India, you get waxed and you're like, they make you feel so rubbish for mm-hmm. having facial hair or this hair or whatever. And yeah. I think South Asian society makes you feel rubbish about it. Yeah. And they make you feel like, you know, no man wants you. But I'm thinking, South Asian men are really hairy. So oh I'm thinking, God. why don't you get waxed? Like, why don't you go through the same
0: stuff
2: that we have to go
1: through? As women? Like my brother's back here. Like, a, like it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's like, but, <laughs> it's like swirly and gorgeous. I'm like, what why do you? It's, it's um, true, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's because you know, we we our value is the way we look compared to men you know yeah. when they they say to us like you know you have to be a certain ways because our value is aligned to that certain way instead of how you know we're made to exist whereas men can just exist however exactly. and it's always been yeah. the way um but it, it like hair removal came down from like marketing you know yeah. it was just a way of like selling razors um because they saturated the market with men and their facial hair and cause like mustaches were such a big thing. They were just like, oh God, like what do we do next? And so they started marketing it to um to women and um in a really racialized way. Yeah. So it was done in a way that was like, um, don't look like these indigenous people. And it was actually like a lot of marketing said savages, um, by doing this. And so it was sold to European women, races mm-hmm. were sold to European women to not look like us, essentially. And then yeah, we were sold through colonial like mind thought like we were then taught that that was the way to be you know don't be yourself be the white one so yeah there's a lot of unlearning with the uh, kind of like the racial side of it as well
2: because yeah, it's well. a big psychological thing it's yeah. really difficult to break through it because you're taught one way when you're going the opposite way it's really hard to break down your barriers oh yeah everything you've learned definitely um yeah. which is led me to my next question which is i'm going to talk about instagram <laughs> um so you openly talk about suffocating beauty uh, within the South Asian community. Um, but your journey is about loving yourself, you know, appreciating yourself, loving yourself and not not really caring about other people's opinions because it's it's your body, your decision. But what has the journey been like for you? Just not in terms of body hair, but in everything like, you know, your sexuality, your um Colorism, mental health, everything. Like, what's our journey been like?
1: Yeah, so (laughs) it's really interesting. The thing is, is I'm I'm attention seeking and I'm really (laughs) (laughs) stuck. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's not uh, a bad thing. It's a good thing if you're confident. No, it's not a bad. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um. Basically, I I go through journeys of things of like self discovery of like things I figure out about myself, which I think, oh, maybe other people are figuring it out as well or whatever. So that's why I write about it on Instagram. But it genuinely are just moments of me saying, like, look at me. <laughs> I'm going through this. And, you know, the hope is that other people will turn around and say, yeah, same. You know, yeah. same way well, going through this as well. Or um is is to come out of that loneliness that you feel like especially when it comes to mental health you know when you're open Mm -hmm. about your mental health and someone sends you a message suddenly a dm being like yeah i went through the exact same thing last year and this is the journey i went through then you're just like oh my god that loneliness is then extended to that person and then you 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 feel like a joint connection Mm -hmm. Um, and that isolation you get with mental health is One of the biggest things I suffered from, you know, it was the whole like, you know, you victimize yourself as well. So not only are you dealing with your mental health where you're spiraling or, you know, you're going through these really big dips. You're also isolating yourself by saying you're the only person that's Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Uh, You're the one with the worst amount of body hair. You're the one that's like, you know, being mistreated the most or whatever it is. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So these kind of like posts of these kind of like, you know, conversations I have is a reach out to people to be like, you know, I don't want to feel lonely. Like I hope there's other people out there that have the same thing. And then when there is, then you have that connection, and it helps you like move past a lot of the moments that you are kind of like suffering in. Um, so the journey has mostly been that. So every time now that I, you know, do like a vulnerable post or something, it's the hope that someone then reaches out and says, "Same," you know, "Me too," and we can like hold hands virtually <laughs> together through yeah. this kind of thing.
2: Definitely because I, I wish there was someone like you for after having birth as well because there's loads of women that are like Caucasian but for for South Asian women it's been really difficult so you know you know my body changed a lot after pregnancy and the one thing I suffered with was uh, hair growth and discoloration of my skin and there were moments I was having a mental breakdown I was like why does it happen to me and uh thankfully I had the support of my husband and Carlos was like it's just I can't see it you're just over exaggerating but you know like it would have been nice to have someone where you can go virtually oh god it's not just me that's going through this as well and yeah. and you know everything that your body was isn't and then it's like a mental thing and then having mm. a child you're like do I feel this much anxiety? I'm scared of everything. I don't sleep, I don't do this. And it's nice to have that whole virtual connection with somebody else going through the exact same thing. And you feel like there are other people out there and that's what your Instagram for me represents. You know, in so many different areas of your life, you're sharing it with the thought of, there'll be other people that will go through this. And, you know, if someone is there that will DM me and go, thank you, i have to fight like this. You're not alone.
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. And the thing is, it's so nice because you see, it's hard to find because of like algorithms Mm -hmm. and stuff, but there are people Mm -hmm. out there having conversations and it's about like trying to manage to find them somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I think like uh, digital connections are a lot easier than in-person connections because there's still so much anxiety with like admitting things out loud in person. Like for Mm -hmm. example, me posting pictures of like my leg hair, which I was doing well before I actually went out in public with my leg hair. Because those are two different journeys. Yeah. Um, so I think having that digital support group where you reach out or you make a post and other people reach out to you is a easier step to then start doing it in person and to the people around you. And mm. I think that's really vital.
2: No, definitely. And I think one of the things I love about you as well is that you've openly spoke about compassion and empathy for humanity but in the sense of welcoming other people regardless of their cultural identity yeah and sexuality to name a few what's the support been like for you because you don't call yourself lesbian or gay or whatever you call yourself queer mm. has the support been there for you because i think it's really hard for someone to come out because a lot of people there's still that stigma around it what what's it been like
1: um you know what, like super interesting. And so I get asked this often, but you know what's really, what I didn't realize until very recently is I didn't really look properly into what the journey was actually like. I I would go like, oh yeah, mum would say this and dad said this and then my brother did this. Like, you know, that's not the actual journey. That's just a couple of conversations, right? But the actual journey was me supporting myself. Okay. And it was really interesting because I, I continued to do that thing that I did with my mental health where I isolated myself from it you know so then I would tell myself like okay so Sharon you need to start a queer event you need to like you know start a pride Mm -hmm. event like all this kind of stuff as if like there aren't other people out there that'll be able to like journey with me and it was that whole thing where you just create this loneliness around it um and I did have like a lot of like different queer groups thanks to like you know already the journey i had gone on with Ben Ruddy and just like you know not being openly queer, but like obviously being queer. And so like already having like uh, like groups of people in the community.
2: Yeah.
1: But yeah, there was still a lot of isolation. And even though there was a lot of acceptance, it didn't mean that there was internal acceptance for a very long time. Okay. There was also a lot of self-doubt because it's so kind of ingrained in you that you shouldn't be this way. Um, that you, you start going, oh, am I, or am I just rebelling? Mm-hmm. Am I just trying to piss off mum a bit more? you know and then you, just, you literally never want to be with a man again so like obviously like there's something no, there right? yeah, no, um, yeah definitely and so there's also like um the journey of like the terminology you use and how you identify yourself because your sexuality or your gender identity is just an ongoing journey that that's something that you are going through as a self-discovery forever and that is because we are constantly still learning and understanding um and unpacking you know Mm -hmm. because there's so much that's been kind of told that this is the way of life and then now we're realizing that we shouldn't be listening to a couple of old white scientists in the day saying that this is what it's meant to be um that like the reason I now say queer is because it's easier for me to like identify as queer without having any questions you know Mm -hmm. without people being like yeah You know, if I said bisexual, people would be like, oh, right. So you probably will like end up with a man or something, you know, whereas the reality is, is I I don't actually I'm not actually sexually attracted to men. Um, And I realized that a lot of my history was just like um, almost like forced heteronormative kind of lifestyle where I was told that you had to. Um, And so that's why none of my relationships worked out shocking um <laughs> I love how you said that it was really like it's you are shocking <laughs> yeah like huh, what do you expect Sharon you're your very gay um so like yeah I I I feel like it's an ongoing journey of like you know trying to come out of that loneliness more and more um mm. but because it's not only isolating from like you know the side of sexuality and that kind of side of it culturally it's quite isolating as well um, but I try and teach myself as much as possible through history. So like, I came to a space not that long ago where I realized it was an Indian culture that's stigmatizing me. It's the colonial British culture that's stigmatizing me through their reign, you know, because mm-hmm. even though like, you know, sexualities and gender identities weren't like the most accepted, mm-hmm. they were they existed through history, were written about. And, like, you know, our, heart, our art in uh, Indian art is very gay. Um, it is. Our sculptures everywhere on, like, it's you very know. Very erotic all... as well. Yeah, we're all, we're super we're erotic. Yeah, yeah because I
2: remember erotic. growing up, did you ever have those, like, cloth paintings of one bloke? And, ah, you've got it. I'll try and explain this to Carla. Yeah, it's like nipples. And you see yeah. the boob and you see one yeah. man and, like, a harem of women. Like, yeah, Indian culture is very sexualized. It's very, yes. and everyone thinks about sex. Definitely. Yeah, and it's
1: Definitely. because it, it came hand in hand with spirituality. So, like our culture is a very spiritual culture, and with that is like you know our understanding of the earth and our existence alongside mm-hmm. the earth. And so it wasn't like a these humans were better than these other humans, and you know, and then we live on the earth. It's like we all mm-hmm. are kind of like <laughs> collaborating with earth in a certain way. So it wasn't kind of like set up the way that um the global north set it up yes. um and so yeah i think then when uh, obviously there was still a lot of chaos as well with sexuality and gender identity because there is still like humans are still like awful people most yes, of the time very <laughs> <difficult>, but yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but then yeah when the colonial reign came in that's kind of when like you know it was uh, criminalized to be homosexual and it was aligned to be and pedophilia mm-hmm. so things like that and that was a british Law that they never then into the Indian law, yeah. Um, so it was legislation that was moved over that didn't actually make sense within our culture, but that became ingrained in a lot of Indian mindsets, and so did a lot of the colonial rule. You know, you mm-hmm. see a lot of Indian families acting a certain way off the back of what's been ingrained in them from the way they grew up,
2: yeah. Uh, and I think an example of that is what you see in Goodness Gracious Me, yeah, it's like a, a set of it, and you're like, Oh, god, that's so true, yeah. And,
1: it's, it's, um... Goodness gracious me was like a turning point in my life. It was truly a turning point. Oh my god! I saw like every now and then find the episodes on YouTube to watch. The funny,
2: could you re- you really do laugh at it, you know? But oh it's, it's, it's true. Like, it's
1: on point. It's it absolutely perfect. Like the that were like the Coopers. That's it. <laughs> it god this is like every auntie every <laughs> like middle class auntie i know it's crazy yeah and it's true because like you know growing
2: up a lot of my friends were like i, I identify myself as english because we we're born in england but you know ethnicity we what hindus whatever hmm. but growing up as it's really curious i didn't have many indian friends and growing i was bullied by the indian friends for being like the coopers but it's not because i was like the coopers it's just because my mum didn't really want me, she wanted me to discover myself, not be raised in a way that you have to be Indian, you've got to do the fasting, you got to do, like, it was none of that growing up, and that's what I loved about growing up. Um, yeah. So when university came, my friends knew that I was always, I they were going to find out now, but, like, <laughs> I, I think as humans, maybe it's like a cultural identity, I don't know, naturally as humans, we should be attracted to both you know man mm-hmm. or woman you know or or neither or whatever you know mm-hmm. um so I went through a journey of discovery through university so my cousin was also at uni with me and is a year older so he knew about everything I got up to
1: yeah not
2: wanting to be ever me. there's also that one cousin and there's always that one cousin I'm that
1: living that with cousin. him
2: right now <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> always that one that one that one. supports you and that knows yeah. everything about you and um and you know, uniform was a discovery. And I remember I had some pictures in my like, like halls of residence. And my dad once came over and was like, Are you are you lesbian, Anisha? And I was like, because I kiss girls does not make me a lesbian, but mm. what does it matter if I am? Yeah. You know, why does it matter if I am? Yeah. And it was a discovery stage for me. And you know, with Carlos now, we, we can openly talk about oh my god, that woman is absolutely beautiful. And I find women and men sexually attractive because yeah. It's human nature. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I don't find Indian men attractive. I don't know what it is. But I've
1: got um... a lot of of the time. So I've had this conversation with a few people about why uh, a lot of Indian women aren't attracted to Indian men. Um, And it's because of. um it's it's the it's the kind of like identities we've been given growing up so like you know there's the Indian woman and she does all this and then she basically then becomes the Indian boy's mother mm. when she marries him and so we've been taught that that's the way it's meant to be and then the the son has always been like yeah cool I can't wait to get married to my next mother kind of thing <laughs> it's true it's true yeah. Oh, it's not go. attractive at all. That is not attractive. Yeah, really. but like, we've been told that that's what we're meant to do. That's how it's meant to go. And so when these boys don't know how to use a washing machine, we're meant to be like, oh, this is how you do it. Oh, I'll yeah. do it for you darling." Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And that is literally the biggest turnoff for me. It is. Um, so I think that kind of, and it's not that like all Indian men are like that, because obviously there's actually a ton that I've met that aren't actually like that. But what we've been taught and what we've, been kind of exposed to is that so what we then end up doing is when we see Indian men is we instantly are like I don't want to be your mother without even like you know really giving them a time of day we're just like I don't want to be your mother (laughs) like because it's basically taught to us that's what we were meant to do so that's the biggest thing that like that's the biggest kind of like conflict that we have and I I hope that's kind of being unlearned and like I hope that generationally yeah I hope Uh, so yeah I hope so too because it's kind of It's really difficult then because like we have um, a whole culture of like of Indian men being like desexualized and like not considered, you know, as like, you know, valuable enough to be kind of like someone to be with. And that's because of the way that, you know, they've been taught to live. It's curious to say that because when
2: I dated, well, they never worked because my heart wasn't in it, but also as well. I did it because maybe it was the right thing to do, but it never worked for me. And yeah. um, I was compared the guys I dated to my cousins because my cousins were very independent. They mm. cook, they clean, they do the laundry, they're very independent. And and I was like, why are they like that? And these yeah, were the that- guys that wanted to marry someone like their mother. And I'm like, eh, separation, like, you know. Yeah it's a bit icky and it's for me so <laughs> it's like I didn't I was like, oh this is not for me yeah. and then you know so I was in Canada a couple of years back and we went to a bar and for the first time I went out with my cousins because they're a lot older than me and there was this, this guy and he was a, like a French farmer and literally <laughs> Carlos did not exist and like just a natural reaction I was like Speaking in French and like doing this and I was like
1: curling okay, your hair
2: like hi <laughs> it was just this involuntary action and then my cousin was like uh hello And um, Carlos is here and Carlos was like shall I be there from Jackson and I was like no 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 like don't ruin it for me and then my cousin said you've got a type your type is Mediterranean and I went actually yes because my first love Teenage love was this guy in France that my mom used to have him on a French exchange, and his name was Wilfred. Horrible name, but he I'm was so greasy. <laughs> not a good name. Unfortunately for him, Wilfred sounds like a yes. grandfather, but um, yeah. I had a thing. And I think from my age, I was like, it wasn't like the and, um, But it was nice to share that part of my life with my cousins because they've never seen that part of my life. They've just seen me as a, yeah. daddy, as a teenager. Um And now they see me They were like oh, But it's true I I, I believe There's a reason why For me I've never been a, Like I've tried But they never worked And also as well I'm too like You know When someone says Pick up my glass Make me a cup of tea uh, manage And do it yourself
1: Why don't you make yeah. me? I get really rebellious I, and- Yeah do and I think there's like So much like independence Within like You know Women Like it's kind of it's a fight for us to be subservient because naturally like women are quite kind of like, I don't know, they're quite powerful. We're quite kind of like, you know, independent. Like I said, like we basically birth humans, like, you know, yeah. we are quite like an intense being that like being subservient is completely against our being. Yeah. Um. So when you're told that you have to do something, it's quite a, it's quite a struggle to be this kind of like, you know, servant for a man. And I see so many people rebelling against it. And even people like that are within those kind of, like, institutes as well, where they have married um, an Indian guy and they do find themselves, like, you know, cooking for them or whatever. They're not happy. I
2: don't think so. A I, lot I, of them
1: are A lot of them sit there and just moan about having to do and, it all.
2: And also, so I find, like, when you see them, they plod along. They're not living life. They're plodding along. And then I'm yeah. thinking, I don't want to plod. Life is so... Life is too short. Unfortunately, it is short. But I don't want to look back and go, is that it? Is that all I did on this earth? Because, you know, I, I know people and, well, at university or growing up, they were quite rebellious. They did whatever they wanted to do. But then, as soon as they got married, it's like they became reborn again Hindus. They became so judgmental. They became like the housewives that, you know, judge you because you know you're not doing the whole cooking for your husband looking after your in-laws or um you know fasting on a Monday or fasting on a Thursday and a lot of the time I got called white I mean she's just such a coconut and I'm like what does that actually mean like you know and I feel like and I wanted to say to them because you've married doesn't mean you're not the person you were before don't use it as an excuse to judge other people because you've chosen to settle if that makes any sense
1: yeah and it's kind of just like also you know this kind of this nature of being called white or being called um a coconut or whatever like it's because you're not doing the things that are within the tradition you know you know but actually i then figured out through burnt roti isn't everyone like (laughs) i was like all indian families go through this right and a bunch of people i know are just like no no we didn't go through this and i was just like oh damn that's interesting. Um, because you ch- then truly believe that that's meant to be the way for Indian women to live this way. You, yeah, you, but it's not. How meant to, yeah, that's how they're meant to exist. That's what they're meant to, mm. that their, their life goal is to make a man happy and make the perfect ruti. Like, yeah. I believe that that's what, like, all the Indian people in the world thought. Like, that's it. And then eventually I realized that, like, you know, that's not a thing. Like, it's it's a very particular bubble, I yeah. feel of indian culture where they're just like you have to do this um but like i said like you know being rebellious is within our nature because rebelling against it's rebelling against nature yeah cuz we're naturally not like that um so i think it's happening more and more now because it's become more easy it's become mm-hmm. easy to rebel because generationally people are changing mindsets yeah. are changing generationally thank god um <laughs> <laughs> But, like, also, you know, people's availability to be more open and speak about things has just skyrocketed. And that's helped with, like, you know, the nature of the digital world as well. Yeah. Like, people are more comfortable to be able to speak digitally instead of in person. And so a lot more conversations are being had. And I think a lot more people have the ability yeah. to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever, actually. Yeah,
2: definitely. Because I, I wondered and I thought about it, you know, your book many people will understand different parts of it and go yeah that's just that's how I felt Mm -hmm. have you ever thought that your book could be something like a beacon of hope to someone who's afraid to speak out and then reading your book under the covers at night with the mobile torch and go god if she can do this I can do this you know have you ever given that any thought because (laughs) like there's so many parts in your book Mm -hmm. that people go oh my god you know how does she do it You know, she's written about it. And now I feel like I can do something and I can stand out and speak
1: out, you know? Well, to a certain extent, yes. And I think that's because that's what my magazine was doing. And because I already had received um, quite a lot of messages from people when Burn was starting until now saying, I want to start my own magazine or I Mm. "I want to start my own community group or whatever. Can you help me? And whether it's not even like a South Asian one or whatever, like Mm. I want to start this. Can you help me with this? Um, and there's loads of people that have said already, because of Burton Ruddi i've been able to do this or talk about this, and Burn Ruddi has been a platform that 's allowed people even anonymously to talk about things that they haven't been able to outside of it. So I think that I've already had that like experience, mm-hmm. um, but with my book, it was very personal. it was a lot more per- it was basically my story yeah um, so when that started happening, I think that was significant. That's when, when I got those messages, I was just like, okay. I mean, there were a couple of times that I did a little cry. (laughs) Even like my cousin, um, he read the book. Well, he's still reading it. Slow reader. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He said to me the other day, he was just like, um, there were so many moments in the book that helped me feel less lonely uh, from understanding things. And I was just like, trying to, not to cry in front of like <laughs> did that. because when it is that close to you as well when it's family yeah. like that becomes a lot more real and then people you haven't met before saying it you know
2: mm. no, no, definitely.
1: Um, so there have been like some significant moments but you know what it's it's interesting though because like how much of that do you actually give to yourself because how much of that am I being like oh Sharon you did that or am I being like oh that book did that because <laughs> you create a disconnect <laughs> don't you yeah, you do. But I yeah. think
2: you've done it really well. Like, yeah. for, for even for your relatives to go, because that's, I feel like sometimes your relatives can be the the most judgmental. Yeah, because they know you. The, yeah, or the most critical. So either they think you're this rebellious person that, you know, you're being stubborn, or they go, oh, it's a phase or something. Mm-hmm. But when you have yeah. that one person, it doesn't have to be all of them, That like one person that goes, you know what? I feel the same, or I understand that. That's when you feel like, ah, oh, you're not
1: alone as yeah.
2: well.
1: You know, and yeah, hundred percent. And it's making it's making an impact on the people you like, love, and care about.
2: Yeah, and that's definitely. super important
1: to me. Like, it's so it's so important to me to make an impact to people around the world. But it touches you more when it's someone mm-hmm. that you love. That yeah, definitely. So, yeah, yeah. So. What does he cultural... can't hear me right now because he's in his room. Oh, I
2: mean, he'll be crying, maybe. He's like, yeah. oh, I'm the <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So, like, I have to ask, what does cultural
1: identity mean to you? Um. Mm, that's an interesting one. Um, I don't actually know because I think definitions change for everyone. They, they're all very different for everyone. My cultural identity is, like... I guess, steeped in history and ancestors and homeland and archive, things that are lost, Mm -hmm. uh, things yet to be found and discovered. So my cultural identity, I feel, is what I can make of myself from the way I exist now and what I can learn about my ancestors and the way that I exist and why I exist the way I do. So it's not just being like, i'm british indian you know there's so much more to it there's so much more story to it mm-hmm. that needs to be read and learned so it's a, yeah it's like an unread book mm-hmm. with like loads of empty pages that i need to like fill up so yeah my cultural identity is still quite unknown i think everyone's is you mm-hmm. know because
2: like you i i don't go i'm british asian or i'm english like because sometimes because I, 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 I like tick this box and tick this, you know, you, you tick the boxes and you're like, but what does it actually mean? And I've always, you know, like, had this strong sexuality sense. I'm not thinking, mm-hmm. is that because I'm Asian? Is it because it's ingrained into our, into our DNA because of the whole history of India and you know the spirituality, etc. Mm-hmm. And then I like feel like, you know. Eating with our hands was a reason for eating with a hand, because it's a senses, it's it's sexual, it's organic, it's, it's mm-hmm. it feels so sensual, basically. Yeah. Like, I would love, if there is anything, research back into that. But in India, mm-hmm. where does sensuality of food and sexuality fit in together? Because there must be
1: something. And for me, oh, that's yeah. what I really yeah. want to find out. Because Oh my God, know, do the research. Oh my god, write a book. Like <laughs> There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah. There must be, because yeah.
2: all of our paint, like you said, all of our sculptures and painting, it's very, it's just, it's out there and a lot of people, you know, shy away from it. But as a kid, I was wondering, thinking, why is it half a booby out or why is it a nipple out? And why is it around food or why is it around a man? Or why is it like mm-hmm. music? And why do we eat with our hands? And, yeah. you know, for cultural identity, I would love to find out. Is that part of my DNA that's past down hundreds of generations that's still there you know yeah. and that's something i would love to to find Absolutely. out
1: Absolutely, and i think food food is so so sexual in every culture actually yeah. like indian food is so like flavorful and like spicy and you know interesting and so many different types as well Yeah, in different regions with land and like you know um like farming and agriculture and it's there's so much there as well where you're kind of just like like going through it going through the history of it and looking at different areas and how it's kind of changed and Mm -hmm. how it kind of makes us the people we are because all our recipes come down from like you know our families right yeah so like where were they when they were making this you know where did they it from and like you know why did they add this in suddenly? And that's why we eat it like this now, you know, things like that. Like it's fascinating. And there's so much there. And there's definitely like huge stories there as well.
2: I think so as well, because I always wanted to write something about sensuality and food, but mm-hmm. relate to Indian culture. And it's like, one of the things I loved was when I met uh his best friend was also a mystery. So he was already exposed to Indian food. Yeah, and uh, he was, his his threshold of heat was way higher than mine and <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably more alien than I am somewhere and, <laughs> and um, I remember when we first met and I made chapatis mm. and this was about 12 years ago maybe be 13 and he was like oh my god this is magic, how did you make it you know poof and I was like I don't know it works out well today because normally it doesn't yes. and then, <laughs> but the thing I loved was because I've never had this, but he was feeding me with his hands. And I was yeah. like, and when we eat mussels or clams or whatever, he would also feed me with his hands because it was a sharing experience. And now yeah. you, you understand, it's like a sensual, sexual, organic feeling where it just felt natural, where like you feed each other and, it, you know. 100%. I, I find
1: it beautiful. You know, what's really interesting. So like, you know, you have like, when you think of royalty as well, and you think of like, you know, being surrounded by certain foods, um, and it was all very sexualized as well. But it was also to do with like wealth. So like certain Mm -hmm. foods were the only ones that like rich people could afford. And it it turned it into like something quite sexual, because it was kind of like, no one else can get this, you know, you have to be a certain person to be able to get this. And it's like, oh, that's so sexy and hot kind of thing. You know. So it's kind of related to that as well like it's it's like how like you know Europeans what they do with caviar like you know yeah. it's that concept but like you know in Indian culture a lot of the time it was certain spices and stuff um yeah, so
2: yeah
1: that's really fascinating and I think like eating with hands is wow. so like it is incredibly like sexual it is incredibly it's beautiful.
2: Sexual. I think it's such a beautiful yeah. thing I remember when I met this is before I dated my husband because We got together because of his sister and his Mm. sister was my friend from school and when I met their grandmother the first thing I noticed about her so she would have been in her 80s it was her hands because she always made sure her hands were well maintained and manicured and then you see her read so I wasn't looking at her face it's the hands because you see it's just a beautiful like butterfly movement and I was like oh this is so nice and then you know, when I used to go see her, a lot of northern food of Spain is very different. It's very like um, stews and hot dishes sort of thing. Mm. But when I was down or I was ill, the family would feed me like with the hand. And I was like, I've never had that in the UK. Like, yeah. if we're Asians, like South Asians, we eat with our hands. And they were like, yeah, but initially you cooked for us, so you're going to feed you. And I'm like, huh? and yeah there was intimacy yeah. yeah and you know I was feeling really low and the uncle was like Anisha open your mouth and open my mouth and just feeding me food and I was like it was mm. intimacy and trust and, mm. and there's so many levels that you can have I think you know
1: yeah definitely definitely and it's also like you know when you eat like rubdi and sabji and you're just like you just go like that and you eat yeah. it and then you're like maybe you make it for, like, a white person or something like that, and they're struggling to, like, tear off the ruddy mm-hmm. and get the subji on, and you realise that you've got this pattern in the way you do it, and there's this smooth motion, mm. and you grab enough, you grab the perfect amount, and, like, you know, and other people will struggle. And, yeah, it's an interesting kind of, like...
2: But I don't think you've realised um, your hands are very sexual because of your tattoos as well. Yeah. When you move, it it's like... A, it's really, like flamenco
1: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, like that's how like that like <laughs> right yeah yeah so it's a light bulb movement it's flamenco yeah. I'm very I'm very attracted to hands as well like that's a thing for me and I think that's why I decorated my hands with tattoos as well and I get my nails done with different colors as well because I find hands beautiful and fascinating and it really kind of I feel I, I like watching people what people do with their hands as well, like mm-hmm. the way they because I'm very much a speaker with my with hands. This.
2: Yeah, me too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like I know it's when other people do as well. And I find it really it's like almost like a dance that they do when they're talking or like, you know, the way that they act. And I I find it fascinating. So I like hands anyway. So mm-hmm. when that's involved in eating, like you know, that adds to the sexuality of it all. Because
2: that leads me to my next question, sexuality for me is a very broad term. OK, what does it represent for you? Because I believe you can have feelings for more than one person. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily believe your soulmate is your husband, not for yeah. anything. Um, and I always think of sexuality because I, I was compare it to the Trojans or the Romans, because, mm-hmm. you know, in war, you would sleep, you know, the Trojans would, I think it was the Trojans that would sleep with the person next to them because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, you're, you're tightly packed. So you're there to protect one another. Mm-hmm. Um and the robots are the same, you know. But nowadays it's like, oh God, you know, there's not so much taboo around that. But what does sexuality mean for you? Like
1: um, I think it's it's very personal. I don't think it should involve another person. I think when mm-hmm. I think sexuality conversations tend to end up being about a partner or a relationship or yeah. sex. Um and sexuality is just you. Yeah. Like it's just your individual self, right? Yeah. Um, and so when it's aligned, that's why like bisexuality is such an issue for so many people because they're just like, well, when you're in a, a hetero passing relationship, even though you're queer, then are you really queer? Like, are you really bisexual kind of thing? And it's just like, but that partner doesn't define the person. No. Um, so sexuality to me is just another extension of yourself, your identity, the way that you exist, live, um, the way that you go through your own journey. Like, for example, like we said at the beginning of the talk, like yeah. the journey of my body hair was through my sexuality. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was very personal and individual to me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't align it to a person or a partner or a future relationship or sex. I don't relate to sexuality, even though it has a mm-hmm. word in it. It doesn't mean it's that not. it's a big word in it. Um, it's, yeah, it's just about the way you see yourself. And but i think it's through. a but i think you're right
2: it's it's a, like it's what i said it's a broad term mm. and a lot of people like you said define it to sexual like to sex and partners yeah but sexuality is how that person for me carries themselves off you know <laughs> um i remember years ago you know, in Granada, like, they do lots, in the little plazas. they do, um, like, flamenco, or, like, you know, salsa dancing, and there was this old couple, and the woman had so much sass, and she was fully, like, she would have been in her 70s, but Carlos and I were drawn to her, we were like, gosh, she's so beautiful, because she had this energy and aura about her that was like, I'm in my 70s, but I know I've still got it, like, you know, the, the way she carried herself off, she was so confident, and the smile and how she presented herself, everything was like this whole package. And yeah. it was so captivating to watch because my eyes were just on her because I was like, mm-hmm. "Damn, like she's amazing. And I believe it's how you are as a person and how, you're the, how the decisions you make affect mm-hmm. how you are, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also like, you know, I, I truly believe that heterosexuality is forced on you. <laughs> I, I don't mm-hmm. believe that like heterosexuality is the norm at all. Um, I think that like uh, a more kind of like bisexual, pansexual kind of like attitude is kind of the more natural way of living. Um, yeah. So if people have attraction outside of the gender that they've been told that they're meant to have attraction to, uh, then that's more natural than just liking one gender, you know, yeah. I feel like that kind of very restrictive it kind of like stops you from experiencing full life and understanding yourself through it as well. Mm-hmm. Because when you can have connections with people on certain levels, despite what gender identity they have, then you learn more about yourself yep. and you grow as a person. Um, and I think that that's kind of like more important to me. And I think that's what I do as well. I make connections with as many people as possible to grow myself and for them to grow as well. Mm-hmm. So that the journey of growing individually can be with a person but like you benefit from it
2: yeah no definitely I believe that because yeah yeah because no, there was this one person that I met on my trip to Ali when I did when I see an and I always I always told Carlos I was like this person you know when you can't stop talking and um you surround yourself by people that you really can really like can be yourself with you know, mm. there's no shame or whatever. Yeah. And I asked the Carla, said, Something about this person, we can't stop talking. And I was wondering, thinking, could he be a soulmate? Because, oh because he yeah. was not my husband, but it was just a conversation and everything, we were just aligned. And I wasn't drawn to him sexually or anything like that, but it was just, I was captivated by this one person because it was so interesting to be around, but it made yeah. me feel better because I was like, Oh,
1: I feel the same way. And, and, um, yeah, no, I, I... yeah, I think that's it, right? Like, it's having those connections and being drawn to certain people. I think that's kind of more important than being like, I'm this identity or whatever. Or labeling yourself. I have these connections with all these different types of people, and these connections could be anything. And it's important for people to like extend their humanity beyond one gender you know mm-hmm. because like I think that comes alongside with it and I think that's why there's so much kind of like homophobia and transphobia is because your empathy and humanity ends with one gender you're told to just love this one and then the rest mm-hmm. are just like weird to you or whatever yeah. so I think when you extend beyond that then that kind of stuff starts to fade
2: I think so because like going up from that you're because you're surrounding yourself by these people that are supportive it's like a network you know you hold them close because it also encourages your journey as well yeah you know because i believe that if you surround yourself by positive people it does help you a lot more than surrounding yourself by negative and judgmental people but once you yeah. start to let go everything kind of flows better yeah and and you led me to you know your career is slightly different but your career has been in you're, di- you're a director of um, Bern 40, and then you've got the Middlesex Pride, I think it is. And there's another one. So, you you know, you've kind of immersed yourself in different areas. Hmm. So for many, you are an inspirational leader because they're like, well, God, she's done this, she's done this, she's done this. But to help people through different journeys and situations and moments to go through at that stage of their life, because of that as well, have any opportunities come your way that have been life changing for you? Oh,
1: literally every opportunity. like <laughs> even like a- anything, like I think people are just like, "Oh, do you have this big thing that's come your way that's changed like anything this conversation, like every I have that is something where I connect with someone or when I can get a message across anything, I'm like, this is amazing. Like this mm-hmm. is like made a significant dent in the way that I can now move, you know, yeah. a lot of the time is certain, conversation. every conversation I have is different,
0: you yeah.
1: know, everything I've been part of is different. And so there's a different bit of me showing in each one. And when I reveal that little bit more of myself, it's significant for me to be like, now there's that little bit more open. There's yeah. that little bit more that changes. Um, so like literally anything and everything, um, but that's very vague and not what you asked. No, so. no, no, no. but, <laughs> no,
2: but um, it's true because, like, some people define um, lifetime opportunities as this is big thing. But yeah. And, and I, I don't, don't like, know why.
1: I don't know like that because, know why. also, that then isolates people that are just like, oh, we haven't had this thing that happened. You know, we went on this list or we didn't get this opportunity, that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it really. Those things are so meaningless. They're yeah. so meaningless in comparison to like all the little journeys and steps you all take. All the little journeys that lead you to, like, you can have one big journey and then not really reach your goal or have a significant change in your life because of it. Or you can have loads of, loads of significant little moments that build you as a person. No, it's, and that build yeah. other people around you as well. And that's so much more important that, like, honestly, like big things that could come your way a lot of the time are meaningless it is true yeah. because as, as well people define themselves by that
2: one big thing and yeah. then they're just setting themselves up to fail because then you think yeah. that all the little things are like worthless yeah you know, but
1: but then I you're setting like... other people up to fail as well because yeah. they compar- what you have to do as well is if you're out there being like you know i want to represent people i want people to feel safe and then you're mm. like yeah but i've got this then you're isolating them because yeah. they'll be like well we'll never get that so we're not you know yeah. and it's well, like I why
2: would you do it. that like no, it's, it's, i agree because i feel like the little the little steps are the like the best steps because it's like a self-accomplishment of i've done this brilliant i've done this brilliant as opposed to going oh my god um i don't have it like a tv show and i'm not a size 10 and i'm not a size this or it's exactly. like you're defining yourself by expectations that are not realistic
1: yeah, and even career expectations are ridiculous as well, and especially for women and women of colour and queer women of colour. Like, it's all ridiculous. Like, yeah. Set your own goals. Have your own expectations. Don't get led by someone else's. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it'll just kind of your own goals then are more reachable and then you'll feel more fulfilled and more satisfied, you know? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that because I'm like... Yes,
2: because <laughs> that's how I feel. Yeah. You just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Sit
1: there and be like, oh, I want, I want to reach the goals that Madonna reached. Like, yeah. That's- crazy talk like no I want to reach the goals that I want to attain as an individual person that will fulfill me you know yeah. and it was writing a book and that is quite a huge goal it's and that's been huge for me and so I took a massive step back after writing it and didn't do much work to take no, a break You, took, you like, have to, mentally you have to take a break holy crap yeah I needed it you, desperate because I just all my trauma into a book and was just like okay I need to go sleep for like two weeks please <laughs> <laughs>
2: but also park it because I'm one of those people that when you work so hard at something you've accomplished this book but then you need to take a step back close that book and go okay I need to take like a like a pause and go yes two three weeks disconnect and then come back to it you know because then you really appreciate it yeah um, yeah
1: yeah yeah. and you have to remember to keep loving what you're doing as well and so you have to take care of your health through it otherwise everyone else won't love it yeah right true true yeah
2: Uh, definitely like um so I have to ask I want to talk about your childhood. Oh. And <laughs> well, I hope you <laughs> like the question. And um, many South Asian households surround the same surround themselves by food, your mm. favorite dishes, etc. And it's those meal times is where you really converse with them, you know, mm. you talk about things that happen. Were you able to talk openly with your family? about the thoughts that you were going through and the situations you were going through in life? Like, was it like an open situation where you can go, okay, I can, like, look at your faces like, if oh, I didn't I see this
0: know.
2: video and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> she's, she's
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 Genuinely, you know what, it's so funny. When I, when I see that happening with other families or I see it in like films or TV or whatever, I'm just like, oh, isn't that nice? uh isn't that a nice little fictional story um <laughs> because <laughs> i i never know i never experienced that like every time me and my family would when i was young would have sat down for a meal a lot of the time it would have been a silent meal you know or like you know the the parents would have something to say and it, usually it was just a have you done your homework or like you know stuff like yeah. that um so like yeah dinner time was never really a sharing time for us okay. um but like cooking time was okay when you sat down and ate you would do it in silence and you had to eat all your food and you had to be good and you know all of that stuff but cooking was more chaotic so there was more allowance there you know so like when mum would have the massive pressure cooker and make sarg, like the whole thing would be so much chaos that you would be running around there'd be music playing and stuff like that and then you can kind of like act a fool kind of thing you know be your natural self but when you sat down to eat that was different then you had to like be this like good Indian girl. It's like mm, I know, I'm eating like properly, like you know, like nonsense, you know. um So I never really experienced like sharing while eating in a family mm-hmm. environment. Okay. It became something that like I realised that that's why people go to restaurants with friends. <laughs> that's why people oh, go right. for it. I realised uh, much later on is because that's where they sit down and chat. And I had been taught that you don't talk while you eat. Don't talk with a mouthful. Don't talk while you eat you know finish all your food and then you know then you can remember you have to clean the dishes and like it was regimented a certain way yeah um and so now eating is like eating with people eating out is just so much more fun and interesting for me because that's where I catch up with people that's where I have fun that's where I gossip (laughs) tell (laughs) them all like you know the updates on my love life all that fun you know Mm-hmm. Um, and it's over food, and it's uh, a lot more of a beautiful experience for me now. That's why I love cooking now as well. Okay, I love cooking for okay. people so that we can sit down and chat.
2: that's why I love. Like you know, that's a massive thing here in the Mediterranean culture. Meal times are the longest because you sit, you converse, you chat, you talk about everything, mm-hmm. and um, and like you talk about like literally everything. Like I remember my husband's grandmother, but we weren't, we weren't married then. And yeah. I remember she was so independent. And it was, I remember her saying to me once, We're doing something in the kitchen because everyone's around the like stove. And Carlos said, Yeah, but I've got Anisha. And then, like, Wally went, No, 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 you've not got her. What makes you think you've got her? You're not married. You've not put a ring on it. She's independent. She can have other options. And I was like, You go, Wally. I was like, Yeah, like, and, you know, she was talking about affection and relationships and mm-hmm. and that's something, you know, coming from the UK, it's what you said, oh, don't chew with your mouth open, or don't speak with your mouth open, sorry, or don't chew yeah. with your mouth open, and, you know, but then it's really because I have two sides, like, growing up in the UK, in Leicestershire, we spoke a lot when we had family get-together, so everyone's together, eating, chomping, whatever, and you're having yeah. a couple of conversations. But generally, it wasn't a done thing where you talk. But then on my mum's side, meal times were always about talking. You're all you you know you're you're mischievous, you're nattering. Yeah, but it wasn't the sort of conversations where you can go talk open. Like I think it's the thing. There's like a limit to things you you can't you can you can talk a lot, but you can't yeah. talk about. Well, you know today I I, I kissed this girl. They're like you did what? Like, yeah. it's not those sort of conversations. Whereas here in Spain. You've spoken about everything, you know, yeah. nudist beaches. Like, yeah, we go to the nudist beach. I mean, I mean, I mean, that aren't always good. We used to go back in the day. And, you know, I, I come on my husband all the time in bed. And, you know, when yeah, yeah, you're yeah. older, it's not about sex. It's about, you know, compassion and affection and, you know, mm. intimacy, but not through the sexualized aspects. And I'm like, wow, I've never had these
1: conversations over dinner time where I'm from. But yeah. it's
2: just. It's just because, like, no matter where
1: you're sitting, even if you're sitting with food, it's still stigmatized. Yeah. I <laughs> don't think allowed to talk about it, you know. <laughs> food
2: Isn't doesn't it really? make it easier for
1: them to follow. Like <laughs>
2: But do you think that's inspired you to become a writer? To be, you know, to share your feelings?
1: yeah probably actually uh being told that I wasn't allowed to have (laughs) have feelings or like share feelings Mm -hmm. yeah I guess that's a big thing I just I I would immerse myself in tv and film a lot um to like you know like almost like a fantasy state like I would I would go into a fantasy land and I would immerse myself in that so I found storytelling very fascinating and the Mm -hmm. the ability to tell stories in a subtle way as well that would give an impact when it was having certain conversations so it wasn't kind of just like we're going to talk about race through this racial issue we're going to you know subtly like talk about it in this weird fantasy land we've created kind of thing I'd be like whoa that's cool that's so Mm -hmm. interesting and I think that's the kind of stuff that drove me to it because I was really I really did want to talk loads because, as you can tell, I'm very talkative. I always wanted to talk loads. Um, but then being told that, you know, you can't really talk about this or that. Or you can't really have those discussions. I was just like, what? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that was like a big part of me wanting to write. Definitely.
2: Okay. Well, yeah, because you see it a lot in your writing, which I'm reading a lot of your articles. Um, yeah. <laughs> so socially and emotionally, eating... Um, creates long-lasting bonds because you're, you're conversing and sharing over food. It's like an intimate thing, you know, like we are saying before about your hands and and food and movement. Through your new... Like, through your friendships and your life, you know, the recent years, over food, have you created long-lasting bonds with people that you've gone, you're in my life and, you know...
1: Yeah. Can we share stuff together? <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. Like, I have, like a group of friends we go to restaurants all the time and like uh we also have our favorites that we go to and like you know I then have like the friends where I'm just like let's go eat dirty and we go have a dirty food kind of oh, like nice. those are those are my favorites um it's <laughs> <laughs> like, just when we think of chili chips and cheese from
2: off- like, read, yeah yeah like
1: you know let's let's eat the dirtiest food we can find um <laughs> And so like, yeah, you, you create these connections with people. And I feel like it opens different parts of you, you know, you have mm-hmm. to kind of let's go like, you know, with my vegan friends, let's go find like the coolest new vegan restaurant, or like, you know, you go with people that eat meat and then you find the vegan thing in the menu to eat yourself. <laughs> kind of thing. And so you have all these different connections with these different people and the different ways that they eat and, you know, the different ways that they see the world. And yeah, it's, it's, it's bonded me very differently with, significant groups of people yeah and I've enjoyed that kind of like journey
2: that's amazing like because you've got a gift for storytelling by talking as well as writing okay (laughs) you've got it dialed you really have um my last question is for anyone that wants to pursue storytelling and writing Mm. what other some what tips would you give them the one vital tip you would give them
1: um I think one of the main things... I'm sorry if you can hear music in the background. I can't hear it, so it's all good. Okay. you can hear from Minka in the background, you're all good. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Um, So one of the main things that I think a lot of it was, like, there's self-doubt there. So I think one of the most important things for any writer to realise is that whatever they have to say is important. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, it's important. Someone out there wants that story or wants to hear it, you know. Someone, like, even if it's a story about, like, I don't know, a bird that gets lost and has to find its way back home. I don't know. I think I've just written a Pixar film there. <laughs> <laughs> someone out there wants that story, you know, yeah. even if, if it's about your journey, your a personal story, like I did, someone out there wants that. So no matter what you think, anything you write, someone out there wants it. Um, mm-hmm. So don't doubt what you're writing. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. one big thing I had where I was just like, Does anyone want this? Does anyone care? Like, is this just for me, really, more than anything? Um, and so, yeah, I think that was a big move for me to kind of recognize that.
2: Pardon well, you- <laughs> really, it's like inside, I'm going like a seal, but yeah, like because. Like I was saying, like your chapters in your book. And even the things you've generally um, mm-hmm. online, I'm like, damn, like for me, it's like, oh god, I've done it. Oh, that's so that's so true. But it's you have a gift for talking as well as writing
1: for me. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Um but I you're think other be... thing I'm <laughs> blushing, I'm actually blushing.
2: No, you're fine. You're all good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <It's
2: Russia>. Um <laughs> and um so for me, I think it's just been amazing, because I think you do, your journey has resonated with a lot of people, mm. you know, where you can go, oh, yeah, like, that's, that's how she's done it. She's done it. And, you know, you are getting the support out there. And, yeah. you know, I live in another country, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this girl's amazing. And I even speak to you, I, I spoke about you to my friends here, and I was like, God, you got to follow her. Like She's so good. Um, but for me, it's like, oh, God, so many things that I went through as a teenager that you shared. And I'm like, oh. That's, that's
1: fantastic so oh I'm glad um, I'm glad you got that feeling from it I think that's so important for me that people get that
2: because it's not like you know like books you get self-help books it's not a self-help book oh, it's hell more no. it's more of a book where you go oh yeah that's I'm not alone and yes. if he's done it I can do it like it's not oh. one of those things where it's like you know these mental books where you go oh it's a journey and this is what mm. you need to do it's more like you're sharing something that other people go, yes, that's so true. Yeah. I've done yeah. that. I've gone through that, not in the same way, but something similar. And I think that's been amazing, you know. Oh,
1: I'm so. so glad. The last thing I wanted to write was a self-help book. so <laughs> no, I don't have <laughs> time for that. Yeah. That's, that's another day. Another story. Yeah, imagine me giving self-help. It's like, no, thanks. No. I'm have <laughs> a lot of beeps. And I'll be like, oh, that's, that's how I talk, really.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> with my British sense of humour.
2: Um, but anyway, so- I want I want to say thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, and um,
1: I can't wait to see what you'll be doing in Vancouver. Really, I'm like <laughs> I'm on your Instagram, like ah. This is amazing. <laughs> thank so. you. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you thank so you. much for having it with me. Um, and yeah, like totally watch my journey in Vancouver. It's mostly going to be trying to date as many people as possible. I'm not Oh, going that's right. fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> Let me just start
0: recording. <laughs>